Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Three Things Podcast. Super excited this week to have John Moljo, resident, I won't say DJ because I'm the resident DJ, but uh, the most reoccurring guest, John Moljo, owner of Team Moljo Strength and Conditioning out in Shrub Oak, New York. He joins me for episode, I don't even know what this is, 79, 78, 77, something, we're, we're pushing 80. And super excited to have John in uh, talking all things community, fitness. With John and I, the conversations kind of cover everything from fitness to training to just goal setting in general and whatnot. It's, it's a really good conversation. I'm super excited to share it with you. But before I get to John, I just want to let you guys know, if you head over to www.coachcaseylee.com, you'll see a link to join what's called Purposeful Strength. Purposeful Strength is something here I've started in 2021 as just another outlet to get some ideas down on paper. It's a weekly newsletter that goes out every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Um, feedback has been amazing. If you're listening to this and you're a subscriber to Purposeful Strength already, thank you so much for joining me on this new, um, slightly uncomfortable for me. It's not, not something I've really been doing a lot in my life is just writing down ideas and, and concepts and sharing with people. So thank you so much for joining me. And if you're listening to this, if you head over to CoachCaseyLee.com, you'll see there's a landing page to join that mailing list and just kind of read up on different concepts that have helped myself, helped my clients over the last, gosh, probably 12 or 13 years of personal training. And uh, yeah, I think you guys might enjoy it. So without further ado, enough about me. Here comes John Olja. podcast resident in the house john moljo for episode eight nine or ten i don't even know we've recorded on a ferry we've recorded uh, <laughs> like from my phone in multiple parking lots we're both in our offices me at my house john in his actual very real gym office john moljo how the hell are you i'm doing very well three things podcast fans hope you I guys think- are all doing well this is a technically like season three because I took a 2020 hiatus. You're my first podcast interview oh, since hi. probably July 2020. Um, so hopefully I'm not too rusty. Um, for those that are tuning in, the Three Things Podcast is three basic questions that I have that I know that I'm going to ask John. John has no clue what's going on. None of the guests ever get told what we're going to talk about prior. So shout out to John for signing up for that. Um, and I think that just gives it a candid presentation. Um, my biggest pet peeve in, in the fitness industry is people kind of picking sides and, and being a quote unquote guy or, or person of that belief. And I think that just the, the raw candid uncut nature of the three things podcast really brings true information to those listening. Um, John's not a rookie. Like I just said, this is like episode eight or nine or something like that for John. So he knows the deal. Um, but John, it's been a minute since I've talked to you. I believe now you've graduated from college again. Uh, <laughs> you've lost an organ. Your gym survived COVID in New York State, which is is impressive. So a lot of things have happened. Um, do you want to give any brief updates for the fan base at home? Yeah, sure. So uh, I completed my master's degree in fitness, wellness, and leadership um, in May, I think it was. 
Um, T Mojo is still here. We are not going anywhere. We survived, um, you know, 2020. Yeah, and, we'll call it names. And, 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 and all of its uh, shenanigans. And, you know, currently still, um, you know, pushing through that mud, but we're going to be all right. And yeah, you know, I just decided on Christmas Eve that I no longer needed my appendix. So, you know, walked myself into the, uh, walked myself into the ER and was like, just get this thing out of me. I don't know. That was the most bizarre snaps snaps stories to wake up to on Christmas morning. I'm like sitting downstairs on the couch. John's in the hospital right now. Like I've got updates every hour. My guy is waiting for an organ to get cut out of his body. Merry Christmas to you. I had, uh, well, no one was allowed in the hospital and I got to the hospital just before midnight. So I'm literally awake from, you know, midnight until I had my operation at 10 a.m with no visitors in the hospital. So, you know, I just decided to give people some updates, which I wish I saved all those Snapchats. It would have been pretty oh, interesting, man. but I was jacked up on morphine all night. I found out 10 days after at my follow-up appointment that my appendix had actually perforated and I didn't know that. So I had been walking around with an exploded appendix for, you know, some, some amount of time. Prior Did you to... just think it was gas, like from the amount of protein and like vegetables and stuff that you eat? Like, <laughs> no. like yo, this no, is just dude, so fast. It, I was actually having, I was having like stomach issues all week, like all week. My stomach was just yeah. bothering me. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then, um, you know, and then it was like Christmas Eve and like, I, I was struggling. Like I didn't really have an appetite all week. And then it was Christmas Eve and I was, you know, at my parents' house and my mom made like a traditional Puerto Rican dish, like arroz con gandulas and pendines. So I'm like, all right, I got to, I got I got to slam this. Um, and I couldn't eat like too much of it. I just, everything just hurt. I didn't have an appetite. And like that night it was just checkmate for John Muldrow's appendix, dude. Wow. I Chris, had to, Chris like... had to take me to the ER. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but. And it was just, it was a shit show after that. The best was the snap video of Chris picking you up. For those that don't know, Jonathan's <laughs> twin brother, um, Chris Moljo, hit him up, um, pro wrestler. He's the best. But uh, it was the, it's just Chris. Chris is still the best personality of like anyone that I think I've ever met in my life. Mm. He's the Instagram. best human being in the world. Oh Follow God, him on Instagram, MCM Mucho Chris Moljo. You will not regret it. Still got to get him on the pod. Um, Still got to do it. He was like the last guest that I booked. So maybe I go, but maybe I'll go back to back Moljo's. That would be Dude, pretty. Electric. You can't handle back to back Moljo's. There I are not. There <laughs> are not many people on this earth that can survive that amount of Moljo. Back to back Moljo's. I mean, your mom birthed back to back Moljo's. Yeah. Well, she's a savage. You know? she's My mom a unit, is a savage. Yeah. Imagine like here comes one Moljo, then here comes the other. Like that's Dude. insane. That's she's a beast though. She's so. a beast. Um, so John, we'll, we'll get into it here. The three things pod, the first thing, and this is something we actually just kind of finished talking about, and this will be the only COVID related thing that we discussed. God, we got to talk about this bullshit. Nah, just, I think it's, it's like an industry update. Um, you know, like the three most valuable lessons you learn. Don't come at me with that cheesy fucking trash. No. So what I would say is, and, and I, you know, I don't really know the direction of the three questions like for the audience, but I do think it's important to talk maybe because if you're, if you're a personal trainer, you'll find this one valuable. If you're just in any industry as a, as a professional post COVID, like you might find this same piece, the same keys valuable, but John, I think COVID did a really good thing for the fitness industry. Um, you know, like 
I don't think it did a good thing for the businesses in the fitness industry, but I think it did a good thing for the fitness industry in a sense that, and this will spawn the other things from this, but one, like it trimmed a lot of fat from the personal training, like plants and people, right? right? Like if you were a part-time trainer, if you were like an enthusiast trying to make this like a paid hobby or something like that, like you probably didn't make it. And it's probably a good thing for you um, as someone who was like an enthusiast, like if you were the person who like didn't make it, like I'm one, I'm sorry, but two, like you probably wouldn't have made it in the long run anyway. You would have burned yourself out and probably hated fitness and, and resented it. Um, but John, what, and, and you have a fleet of trainers. Um, what did COVID do for you in a sense of like leveling up your business, forcing growth? Like where, where did you, where did you kind of I mean, obviously like the idea is like online, remote, et cetera, but like what other creative avenues did you find yourself really leaning on or exploring that you probably would have delayed or not even have done if we didn't have to? So, I mean, it definitely, you know, I, I would, I would partially agree that it trimmed off the fat, right. In, in, in any industry, right. Those who are, you know, most credible, most educated, most innovative, and willing to put in the work, you're going to survive regardless of what happens, right? So many industries were impacted by COVID. And, you know, the people who are, you know, ride or die for what they want to do, like, they're going to find a way to get through it. So um, I would agree that, you know, some trainers who maybe aren't as committed, aren't as innovated, maybe aren't as, you know, skilled and qualified, you know, they probably had a really tough time and realized that, all right, I should probably find um, other career options. So it's always good to get some of that stuff out of the way, right? At the end of the day, when you're in the fitness industry, you want to be giving the best, you know, product and service to people. And we all see trainers out there that are, you know, not necessarily doing that. So the less of that we can kind of have in the industry, the better. Um, But at the same time, uh, I would see the opposite, right? Like it, what's the number one thing people were kind of focused on, right? Like, you know, just getting healthier, right? How can I put myself in the best position to avoid potentially getting sick or ill or prevent other people from getting sick or ill, right? And eating better, better nutrition, you know, exercising, so on and so forth. So you saw a lot of people, you know, I think as much fat that exited, you saw a lot more fat kind of enter. Like people were like, how can I capitalize on, selling people health products? How can I capitalize on doing online virtual workouts? So, you know, I definitely think we had some people exit, but at the same time, we had hopefully a short-term influx of people who are looking to kind of capitalize on, you know, bringing health and wellness to others. And um, I think they'll get a little bit of benefit from it. But at the end of the day, if you want to do this for the long haul and make it something that's going to be, uh, a career you can live off of, then you got to continue to get better at it and ask yourself, what am I going to be doing a year from now is, is what I'm offering now still going to be able to um, survive what the clients and what the market wants. So um, as team Moljo, our business, you know, obviously we went fully remote almost instantaneously and Uh, We started offering virtual programming and that's kind of continued into our uh, business today, right? So even though we are allowed to be open with some restrictions, we still continue to offer virtual options, one for some members who necessarily aren't comfortable coming back in yet, but two, that's just reality. A lot of people are interested in virtual workouts. It's got an easier barrier to entry. It's easier for them to get the workout in. So we're going to continue to offer it as 
um, something for our existing members, but obviously, you know, we hope to draw new uh, clientele from it as well. So just virtual classes, virtual programming. Um, I started doing some remote training. I had some clients who uh, had moved away from the area and they wanted to continue to work uh, in some capacity. So I took on some remote clients, which has been relatively cool. And I'm potentially exploring how I can integrate, integrate that into um, the business as a whole. Um, but I'm finding that, you know, remote training is, uh, it could be time consuming if you want to do a quality job, right? I'm not like the set it and forget it coach. So uh, I want to be involved. I want to make sure that people are making progress. So I would argue that if you want to build a successful career as a remote training client, um, it's just as, if not more time consuming than actually training people um, in person. So having already a pretty big book of clients in person, you know, it's, it's an avenue that I'm slowly getting myself into, but I don't foresee myself fully jumping into it um, just yet, yeah. but. It's in the, the, the online avenue, like it, it, I think it almost got bastardized in a sense, like COVID pushed everyone into it and right. it just kind of became the smorgasbord of like, what is it live one-on-one -on -one training? Like, is it me and you right now through Zoom? Right. Like, or is it just a program for those that are educated? And, and, and I was doing online coaching before COVID and all of my online clients were people that I, like you, they're, I worked with them in person. Um, so I had an understanding of that person face to face before doing anything remote. And right. it's, it's way harder, like, yeah. like 10 out of 10 times harder to coach someone remotely through programming right. or even through zoom. Right. Like it's like this right. live interaction through a video. It's way harder than someone in front of you. Cause you, right. you don't get live time feedback. You don't get to see everything, the angles you can't, you can't change the angle. I can't just move 90 degrees to my left, but it's, right. it's incredibly difficult. And I think that the fitness industry at times, like most industries, not to poo poo on just the fitness industry, you, you, you tend to find just, and really the people who do it, a certain way, or, or I don't even want to say they do it well, but the, those that are most visible paint the picture for many. And it's not this glamorous sit on the beach in Cabo while you train your hundred clients remotely because you wrote three sets of 10, three sets of 10, three sets of right. 10. It's, it's so far from that. Right. I mean, you know, people can, you can make it a cookie cutter, but at the end of the day, at least, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with that business model. I know people probably make cookie cutter programs. They make a relatively good living doing it. And some clients are probably getting good results from it, but um, you know, our business model is to try and provide people which with as much, you know, individualized, you know, programming and individualized recommendations and try and get that individual the best results mm -hmm. um, possible. And that's where things get a bit more time consuming. But that's our model, right? When someone comes to a gym and they're spending anywhere from 200 to, you know, a thousand or more dollars per month, the expectation is that they're going to get some level of results, some knowledge and something that's going to be um, suitable for them specifically, whether it's, you know, a plan that fits their lifestyle, their work schedule, nutrition that accommodates any, you know, potential dietary restrictions that they have, or, you know, working with a coach that, you know, is compatible for them. So that, that's our model. That's the direction we'd like to go. So whether we're doing something, you know, remote or in person, you know, we want to try and give people the best care and, you know, product and service that we can.
I think so, that's important there. I don't want to gloss over that, but I think it's a good final point. If, if regardless of what business avenue or mode of business you you've chosen or expanded into, the company's vision still has to hold true across the spectrum, right. whether it's in-person uh, brick and mortar, uh, virtual on demand, virtual remote, whatever it right. is, you still look through it with the lens of this is what Team Mojo is. This is what Team Mojo is designed to do. This right. is the avenue we may be exploring to, to do that, but it's still the same vision and everything through and through. And I think yeah. that for people listening to this, whether you're in the fitness industry or not, and you're exploring new avenues or you've had to get creative, just make sure you're always looking through everything you do with that consistent lens. Cause that's right. what matters to your clients and the people that you try to help. Right. You know, and, and just to get back to your question, you know, uh, obviously, you know, we did virtual classes, we did remote training, we built out an outdoor training space. Right. So, you know, that's essentially how our business kind of got a little bit better. Our, our model has you know, shifted slightly where, you know, more people are geared towards maybe personal training and small group training because it's, you know, a little bit safer these days. So, um, you know, a lot of good things came out of it, but I, I would say that, you know, if, if you were a gym owner through the pandemic and you were able to survive it, right. It, uh, there's a lot of things that you can reflect on. One, you probably had a, a pretty sound business structure and business model if you were able to make it through it. So, you know, kudos to those people and kudos to their uh, staff and anyone who contributed to helping create that. Um, but two, um, you know, from a cultural perspective, right, we have a lot of great members who, you know, said, we, we want to make sure that you're still there when this thing is over, right? So to go from training in person in a facility with all this fancy equipment, spending X amount of dollars to now have to do it in your own home with minimal to no equipment, um, and spending the same amount of money, right? That just goes to show like the commitment that some of these members have. And, you know, we're super grateful for that. And that just goes to show that if, you, if you've created that, you know, cultural dynamic in your facility where uh, people are gonna be supportive, they wanna see you do well, um, then, you know, your business probably held its own. You know, I don't think anyone thrived too much during the pandemic, but- Peloton um, did. Yeah, Peloton did. But I'm saying like, you know, mostly, <laughs> mostly, mostly brick and mortar facilities. But yeah. um, if there are any, you know, at least gym owners listening to this, I think the most important thing you need to do is at least take a point of appreciation and show your clients that stuck things out with you that like you're grateful for them committing to you through the entire duration of, you know, an undesirable situation for most. And if you have some staff, right, any coach probably could have left and ventured on, um, to something else. So uh, if you still have good staff around you, make sure that you're appreciative for them sticking things out and supporting you through um, this entire, you know, just crappy situation. You know, being being a, a gym owner was not fun, was not pleasant. It was super stressful, but, um, you know, we got through it and I'm grateful that I have the people around me that supported me, the team around me that helped us get through it. And, you know, it's, there's no plan B for us. Plan A is, you know, success with team Mojo plan B is revert back to plan A. That's it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. There's no plan B. I like, like everyone's like, you need a plan B. No, it's like, we're just going to jam plan A down. Well, Cause then if you have a plan B, success. then you have a plan C, then you have a plan D and then you get yourself into the habit where, all right, it's okay for things to kind of fail. So we'll just move on to the next thing that I'm just going to inevitably fail at. No, fuck that. Like don't fail. Like yeah, plan your a. business is going to hit a low, like whether it's COVID or something else, like there's going to be low waves, there's going to be high waves, there's going to be great days and there's going to be days that shit sucks. But, you know, 
you put one foot in front of the other and you just move forward. I think you don't, if you don't, you'll be all right. I'm going to put that as the title plan. A plan B is revert back to plan A with John Moljo. Um, I'm going to pivot 180 degrees away from this, but cross me up. I'll break um, my ankles. But what I want to talk about with you, John, because you know, like you were, we were, you were just talking like before this guy's like selfishly, this is just for me to hang out with John and, and I to click record, but whatever. Um, we were talking like, we're going into 13 years of personal training. Like we made it through the first decade. Like that's, we're on our way to retiring as trainers. And I don't know anyone in my life who's ever retired as a personal trainer. Like, I think that's super impressive. Shout out to us. Um, hey. Shout out to SUNY Plattsburgh too, for just breeding monsters in fitness. Um, but with all the clients that you've worked with, what are a couple, you know, you can do three, one, two, whatever, the biggest one, whatever comes to mind. What, for the clients that achieve their goals, what characteristics do they have? I've got one if you, if you need it, but I, I will, I, you know, if you need an example. I mean, the number one thing, like if you're setting a performance or, you know, a performance oriented goal or, you know, specific goal, right? Like, you know, you have a female that wants to get their first chin up, right? Like, you know, consistency, that's with anything, like right? That. If you have, a, if, you have like a, if you have a, if you have a performance goal, you have to work on that performance goal. And depending on how far out you are from potentially reaching that is going to dictate how often you should be working on it for how long you should be working on it, the level of intensity you bring when you're working on it. Right. So, uh, consistency is, is huge. Um, that's number one. I like that one. I like, I was, um, so I, mine was going to be, uh, like realistic or, or tempered expectations, you know, like the two different categories. They're like tempered being like, they expect the best, but they also understand like the realistic side of it. Like it's going to take some time and that kind of right. ventures back to consistency. But I'm literally like, I'm one of the coaches that will literally straight up and tell you that right out of the gate. Like if, if, if you're far out from something or I think something is going to be incredibly difficult and I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent right all the time, but I'll be like, yeah, this is going to suck. This is probably going to take a little bit longer than you think, you know, like, and I think that's important. Not a lot of people want the preface of the negative potential feelings and experiences they're going to have on a way to achieving a goal. But like, you need to know that, like, I'm not going to you know, say you're going to do this and everything's going to be great every single day. If you want to lose 20 pounds, like it's just going to be some, you know, downward sloping number every single day. And you're going to wake up and be like, wow, it's up, you know, I drop weight every single day. I feel good every single day. Like, no, there's going to be fucking ups and downs. There's going to be days you feel great. There's going to be days that shit sucks. And like, I don't want to hear you complain about it. We're going to move forward and we're going to stick to the plan. And we're going to understand that there is a process that's involved in doing anything in life. And you need to stick through the process, regardless of the results. All that matters is, you know, is your effort. And that's how you have to assess things as a coach. Like, yes, results are important, but you're not always going to get the results that you want when you want them. But what you need to be able to assess as a coach with your clients is effort, right? So if I have someone who wants to, you know, bench press, whatever, 225 pounds, and all of a sudden, like, you know, we're testing and they miss at 225, right? There's, that's just like, all right, you missed, but I don't want to be able to blame your lack of effort as a coach, right? So if you gave me all of your effort, then you just live with the result and that's it. And then we just continue to put forth more effort and the goal will come. I love that. I think that more trainers 
need to f- to figure out strategies for themselves to have those tough conversations with clients so, because I just see so many trainers blow smoke in everyone's face. But yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. And I, like you, John, you know, whether it's a parent of, of one of the kids in our youth programs, the kids themselves, adult clients, right. you name it. Like if you come in and your goal is this and you ask, when do you think I'm going to achieve this? You better be ready for the answer. Right. You better be right. ready because it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks because it's, I guarantee it's always going to be a lot longer than you think, unless, you know, you've just have completely shattered self-esteem to which I think right. we have other motivations in training, but yeah. um, you know, and, and that's just, that's part of it, right? So you ask, you know, what are some good qualities of, of clients who, you know, do well, right? So consistency is obviously huge, right? And, you know, you could argue like sticking to the program, but look, like, am I a good coach? Yeah, I think I'm a good coach. Am I the best coach in the world? Probably not. Like I admire and I have a lot of mentors and I think there's a lot of other people out there that do it much better than I do. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing this for 13 years. I think I've got good experience. I've got credibility. I've got, you know, thousands of hours of, you know, visual and tactical experience with clients. And if you took me versus a coach who's maybe been doing it for 20 years and another coach who's been doing it for 30 years, and you gave all of us the same client and the client had starting point A and starting point A, and their goal was, you know, B. Each of us could probably write a program that's going to be beneficial to that client but more than likely our programs will be very different so programming is it important yes but i bet you the similarities you can draw from those three coaches programs are one you got to do something often right three to five days a week um there's going to be progressive overload if it's like a strength goal um right so the the programming details, are they important? Yeah, I think other, I think coaches are capable of writing much better programs than others, but you have to look at what are the overlapping commonalities, right? So it's going to be consistency, number one. Um, you're probably going to factor in extracurriculars, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, what's this person's lifestyle? Can they adhere to the program that I'm going to administer them through? You know, what's their sleep? What's their recovery like? Like a, a true coach is going to get a, a macroscopic picture of this person's life and then deliver them a program that's suitable for their goal, but most importantly, suitable for their life as well. So and that's why a Peloton will never replace people. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, I got serious when I say that. Like, that's why when people be like, oh, are you worried people are just going to go do their Peloton boot camps? No, because at some point people need help with all of those other things that you just said. The human connection in training is unmatched right. and those that can help people be consistent, create strategies to adhere, like you just said, like adhere and like, like make it a part of what something they want to do rather than something they have to do. And, you know, those are, those are really good trainers. And, I, and, you know, I think mm-hmm. that those that achieve goals, I think consistency, like I love that. I, I like I said, I had expectate like tempered expectations or realistic expectations, but consistency is probably the top of the food chain for that. Right. And then the other thing would just be, you know, they, they don't get, you know, clients don't get crushed by failure, you know, or missing. Right. And, you know, do they fail because they had incredibly high expectations potentially. Right. But it's good to have really high expectations. It's just not good when you don't meet those expectations to, you know, not continue to work towards hitting them. So understanding how to deal with, shit when shit goes bad right what's your attitude going to be like 
are you going to sulk and, you know, be miserable for some time? Or are you one of those people that, you know, say, you know, fuck, I suck. And then two minutes later, you're getting your ass back to work and you're moving on. Because in reality, that should be the only option you have if you want to continue to be successful. It's okay to be upset and bothered. I just don't think it's okay to, you know, completely crumble like a little bitch and <laughs> give up. You know what some people do. There's a big like, difference between that. Absolutely. Like, oh my god. To be I upset, did. but you are not allowed to right. just wallow yourself in self-pity. Right. Like fuck. Just for an extended right. period of time. Right. For look, I, look shit's going to happen. You're going to get bothered. You're going to work really hard for things and you might not hit your expectations. That's literally how I live my entire life. I think I'm a useless mediocre piece of shit. Right? But I continue to work on not being a useless mediocre piece of shit like that's it god i needed a good dose of john Mojo friday morning john this next thing is going to be the breakout for social media so this snippet's going to get cut so no pressure no pressure on the third thing i I'm want you social media, really guys, quiet. So. i don't know something just got really quiet back there i don't know if like when your class is like ending or something but Maybe. oh i hear it now here's some spanish music in the background uh <laughs> Tell me why small progress is better than big progress. Well, I think big progress, right? This, this just goes back to expectations, right? So big progress is great, but it's not reality, right? It's, you're not going to have these huge, significant improvements often. And that goes in almost all areas of life, right? If, if you want to get healthier, you're not going to, you know, make all these dietary changes and, you know, exercise changes and, you know, adopt all these great habits instantly. If you want to, you know, get stronger, you know, and you have some type of strength goal, like that's not going to happen instantly overnight. It's just you set unrealistic expectations and more than likely, if you're trying to make a big change, it's going to take big effort. It's going to take big sacrifice. It's going to take big mental commitment. And not a lot of people have the ability to sustain that. And as with anything in life, lots of little things over the long haul, sustainability is key. So, you know, I'll take singles and doubles every single day, every single week, singles and doubles win games, um, you know, but if you continue to just strive for hitting a home run, you know, you'll get it once in a while, but more so than not, you're going to be frustrated and bothered that you're not getting the level of success that you think you should be hitting when reality is. I love that. You just hit the nail on the head with what I was, where I was hoping you take it and what I was hoping you would say. I just want to pull those pieces out is one big progress you know, like we envision big progress and changing all these different things. And it's, it's incredibly difficult and maybe some people can do it, but that's probably one in a thousand, one in a million. Right. Yeah. Um, and those small changes over time add up, like you're saying singles and doubles win games like that. That's how come people don't focus on that? You know what uh, I mean? Like how come people want the big, and I don't, you know, like this is maybe just like a, a rhetorical question, but like, why is it harder for people to focus on making one really small actionable change than it is this grandiose expectation. And I don't know if you know the answer. I just, I just, I find that it's like, okay, you, you want to lose 30 pounds. Okay, cool. Here's what I need you to do. We're going to focus on eating. I just, no, I, I, they're like, wait, what? I think people go through these phases, right? I, I, I think people can, you know, 
make small reasonable changes, but people make small reasonable changes because they're motivated, right? They found something that they want to achieve. They found something they want to work towards. They saw somebody that they want to look like. So they're motivated, right? And they could make a small reasonable change for a short period of time, right? And then eventually that flame of motivation fucking burns out. And then at that point, it takes discipline, right? Like when you're no longer motivated to do something, to maintain that small change, you just got to have some self-discipline. And we all know people don't have self-discipline, right? You live in a world where, um, you know, you're being programmed to literally want instant gratification. Dopamine hits through social media. Dopamine hits through food, right? You get information almost easily. Like we, we are being conditioned to have to give no discipline or effort to get almost anything that we want. Um, so, you know, partially to blame is people are just soft, but the other part is to blame is that society is conditioning you to just be that way. And you can't be blamed, um, you know, fully for, for that. So, yeah, it's a good point. Like we don't have to work hard for anything in our lives, except for probably the stuff that we want most. Like how crazy is that? When you think about like, you have to work hard for your relationships with others. You have to work hard for your health. You have yeah. to work hard for physical changes to your body. Um, you know, like it's and people, everything else you can just literally order through an app on your phone. People mostly. just, and you know, we live in a world where people just see the, the finish line for everyone, right? Like no one's going to be motivated when you tell them how much sacrifice and suffering and discomfort you're going to have to go through to do something, right? Like, if I'm having a consultation with a new client and I want the client to sign up for personal training three days a week and they have a goal to, you know, lose 30 pounds, quit smoking, quit drinking, you know, I don't necessarily know how great of a sales pitch it would be to be like, this is really going to suck. You're going to be really uncomfortable. Like life is just going to be completely different. You're not going to be able to do any of the things that you enjoy. Oh, and you're going to have to spend a thousand dollars a month. Like, you know, like that's not appealing to most people. Um, like some people it might, um, you know, versus, oh my God, like you're going to look so great. You're not going to smoke anymore. Like your weight's going to come off. You're going to get more tone. Life's just going to be so much better. Like people always sell you the finish line, which is all right, I guess, in the world of sales, but in fucking reality, it's not what it is. Yeah. Right? Like you're selling people a journey to get to that finish line and they're going to be at that finish line for what? A split second. They're going to be at that finish line for a split second. And then what? I got to sell your ass another fucking journey. Yeah. So if I sold you a really good journey in fucking round one, whatever round two is, you're going to commit to that fucking journey. Yeah. Right. And I will say this because I feel like this is just a good, a good tidbit. Like what John talks about, like people only see the finish line. People only see John's purple turf and big, big, nice gym, you know, second, second spot that he's had, but no one, no one wants to talk about how John was in a park training people out of the trunk of his car and going to people's houses and training them in their living you know, room and it's stuff. Like, it's huge. No one wants I, to talk about look, the journey. I, um, you I, definitely I, got it. I often get from, you know, mostly some of my student athletes, but some adults are like, oh my God, you have the best job in the world. You, 
you know, I want to own a gym or I want to be in fitness. And like, great. Like, I love that I'm able to set that example that like, you could really enjoy what you do. You could be, you know, successful and you could surround yourself with good habits and great people. I'm great that I set that example, but like, no one handed me a set of keys and said, open the door to this fucking life. Like, the exact just, opposite. And we talk, I will say this, we talk about this in one of John's um, earlier podcasts. If you want to know more about John and his success, like you gotta, you gotta go to the archives and find it. Right. Like, like, like people, like I, I'd be happy to go off the laundry list of, you know, <laughs> shit that I had to go through to get to the point that I'm at. Um, but you know, it's not like I was sitting like suffering. Like I just worked really hard and I made sacrifices and I did things that other people normally wouldn't do. And I took risks that people normally wouldn't take. And, you know, I made some good hiring decisions. I've also made bad hiring decisions. Um, I've learned from my mistakes, but I'm not a fucking quitter. Like I just didn't say like, Oh man, this is way too hard. I'm going to stop. And Every year I'm pushing myself to continuously, you know, low, uh, learn and grow more and just be better. Um, all right. So like most people would open the gym and think, all right, I hit the finish line. I'm done. And it's just like, no, I want a better gym. No, I want a bigger gym. Right. So I got a better gym. I got a bigger gym. Now what? Everything was going great. Then COVID hits. And now like the goal is like, let's get back to where this gym was pre-COVID. See what the world's kind of going to be like. And then we're going to tackle some new shit. And now I'm like thinking about, you know, not thinking about doing it, but like writing training manuals, working on a book, getting better at programming, you know, pivoting the business into a direction where it's going to be um, sustainable in the event that we face, you know, new adversity. You, you're writing a book. You want to tease that book a little bit? I see Snapchat. Uh, you want to tease it? <laughs> you want to tease that book a little bit? Uh, now what do you, you want to tease, we, Fiction or nonfiction? What, what do we... No, I mean, it's just, it's essentially me just trying to put out, you know, all right. So I, I, I mean, I'll ask you for your opinion. Tease right? a little so, bit. Right. So you got, I mean, you know me at this point, you've got like professional John Muldrow and then you've got John Muldrow. You know, I'm a very, uh, you know, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a, like a unique person, but like I am who I am. I'm not going to change that for anyone. You, will, you keep it 100 all the time. If I'm going to write a book. I don't necessarily know if I could like write, like, you know, stop being a big fucking pussy. Like life's going to get better if you work really hard, like how digestible that might necessarily be for some people. So essentially I was like kind of torn of like, how do I want to approach this book? Do I want a lot of people to pick this book up and read it and kind of get some benefit from it? Or do I want to write this book like me and roll the dice and see what happens. So which did you do? We went with the latter, obviously, because it just became too painful. I tried the other way. Um, you know, so some people might like it. Some people might not. It's nowhere near done yet. I got a lot of different, you know, chapter titles, but I'm still kind of working around like where the direction I want the book to go in. I essentially, you know, checkpoints are something that's going to be relatively motivating for people, um, entertaining for people and informative for people, right? Those are the three big things that people want, right? They want to be entertained. They want to be motivated. And, you know, if you can learn a thing or two from me, um, then so be it. Uh, so I definitely think I have the entertaining component uh, down. I don't necessarily know how informative it is just yet. I'm trying to keep all the, the sciencey shit out of it because that's never been my style. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a lot of fun working on it and, and, and writing it, but that's just 
you know, my personal thoughts, not a lot Dibs of reading people. it when you're done. Dibs yeah, the main. No, for sure. So Dibs. I'm at a point right now where I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, I kind of want to hire a, a writing coach and then get some professional feedback on what I'm doing. But I'm also like, all right, I got to find a coach that's going to be okay with like, you know, reading, <laughs> reading, reading F-bombs and, you know, because if, if you know me, you know that when I speak like that, it's not me trying to be condescending. It's not me trying to be disrespectful or it's not me trying to be rude. You know, if, if you know it's who I am, passion. then, then you get, passion. Like, it's passion. And like, it's like, it's cause I give a fuck. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely. it. I just give a fuck. So I'll have to find a coach that understands that. And if I hire someone, they don't fuck them and we'll find somebody else. So. I have one last question for you and it's been bugging me this whole time over your right shoulder. You have a, is that a red strong hat? Why is it yes. red? Why do you so, own something red right. and not purple? So we had an event. One of our clients was running for, um, ALS man of the year. So, gotcha. um, their logo colors were, were red. We had a huge fundraiser event. Um, we had like a red and black shirt. So I had to get a custom red shirt. It was also like my second favorite color. I had to get a custom red hat. It's also my second favorite color. It makes sense. I just, I, it, it's literally, John, in your picture, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You have a purple hat on, purple sweatshirt, purple door. There's purple hats draped behind you. And then up above your right <laughs> shoulder is this beacon of red. And I go. just, I never thought I'd see the day that it wasn't purple <laughs> in, in Team Mojo. But um, it's for a good cause. So I understand. For a good cause, yeah. Uh, John Mojo, where can people find more John Mojo? Uh... I mean, we have a T-Moljo Instagram. You can email me, jmoljo at tmoljo.com. Sign up. Uh, Sign up on, on Facebook. Put them on every newsletter. Put them on every newsletter. Good. Friend me on Facebook, John Moljo. Uh, just reach out. I love chatting. I love shooting the shit. I love hearing about people's life experiences. Um, so I'm happy to help in any way I can. Until until round 11 or whatever, John. That's it, you know, I don't think anyone in the world has ever gotten 11 rounds with me. So. No one's ever, no one ever. Is, is. Kudos to you, homie. You're the resident DJ. I'm not getting anyone else. <laughs>